John 17, would you turn there if you don't have a Bible? Raise your hand and Roger will get you one. We had a lot of early interest uh, in Faithbridge. We, the reason that we pursued this is because we had 20 or more people actually say, yeah, and sign a thing. And we went to a previous meeting with some of you, so uh, it's still happening. And uh, at some point, we'll designate some times of prayer specifically to pray for this to come through um, for them to get their licenses. Uh, stay tuned. I want to pray one more time. We want to pray for the persecuted church before we begin our study. But because of time, I'll just lead us. And But do pray. Your prayer matters even when it's in quiet as you're agreeing. Lord, we believe our prayers matter. Um, if I was someplace else being persecuted, I would want to know that Christians who are free cared to pray for me. We don't know all the faces and names. We know names like Saeed, and we know names of a few people that we each know. But we are praying for all the brothers and sisters, again and still and continuously, um, that you would meet them, that you would deliver them, where deliverance is through uh, a, a victory on earth where they are released, released from any kind of burdens and uh, free to serve you without fear where deliverance is, deliverance is that they go to heaven because they actually die for you. Where deliverance is where they lead others to know you, those in prison with them, those around the community watching them suffer, willingly say, I'll get baptized, I'll stand up, and I'll go through the same thing you are. There's a great deliverance when you see others come to Jesus. You know that you're being strengthened and supported. In every possible way, Lord, we pray. We pray for... David and Sarah, Abraham and their children, that as they go into a land of great persecution for Christians, um, yeah, they're allowed to be there, but if they make a wrong move at all, open their mouths at all, they're easily imprisoned or killed. And so as these guys go, we pray you would help us through them to reach others with the message of the cross. You would help them and us through them to reach people who need some kind of support for Voice of the Martyrs and all the groups that work in these countries, we pray your blessing and help. And now, God, teach us, for we pray these things and for the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, and what a chapter often called a Jesus' hype priestly prayer. Some people say what has been tagged as the Lord's Prayer, which was, you could call it the Disciples' Prayer our Father who art in heaven. I don't really care which, how you call them. I'm just saying it's a way of people try to explain the importance of things. This would be maybe the more the Lord's Prayer because this is Jesus' prayer as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verses he's spoken previously, you know, there's no chapter division in Jesus' communication and in the events. He's spoken to them that, that they were going to run away uh, that very night and he spoke those things to them for peace, as we read last week at the end of 16. Jesus is really, he says, I'm saying these things to you to encourage you to take courage. I've overcome the world. But how does he get encouragement? Well, for one thing, he prays. Verses 1 through 8. Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you 
as you give, have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For you, I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus receives strength even as he prays. And he does pray in one sense for himself initially, even though he finds it hard to pray for himself without praying for his disciples, doesn't he? Um, I'm not saying he's finding this difficult. Uh, He is in a difficult moment, but he's finding prayer very, very much a part of his life. Isn't that true? Jesus got up very early in the morning, often, before dawn, whether the time clocks had been put back or not. He got up early to seek the Father. Paul told Timothy uh, in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he said, how you do it? He says, the hardworking farmer has to be the first partaker of the fruit. You don't have anything to give anybody else. I've been in that situation where I haven't been seeking the Lord and then I'm called upon to give. God is gracious. God loves that person. He might use me. But it's really a, a, not a good feeling to know that you are unprepared, is it? I mean, how do you feel when you don't have your car keys and you need to get somewhere? Or your wallet and your credit card and you need to buy something with that or your money? Um, I, I, I wish I was as concerned or we were all as concerned with being spiritually prepared as we are to go shopping <laughs> or buy something or have a coat or a umbrella for the weather to be spiritually prepared and what's great is is that be strong in the lord the hard-working farmer has to first partake of the fruit the guy who's farming the land has to taste the fruit and see if it's working and see how it tastes and, and what that means is you got to tend your own garden while you're trying to help everybody else and be a good person while you're thinking about how you need to be outward and 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 and, and about life outside of you uh, don't you and I need life inside of us? You know, I'm saying this as a guy who finds it easy. You know, I haven't, uh, I don't know how to say this. Sometimes I know I say things that sound stupid, and I don't know quite how to correct it. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a fairly easy relationship with the Lord. Some people, if they don't have a quiet time and a quiet moment to sit and pray and have it just be very, everything just right, they have a hard time. I find it very easy to talk to the Lord wherever I am, and etc. My weakness is that sometimes I rely on that instead of taking that quiet time and really focusing. And I lean on the fact that I can easily seek him anywhere. Now, that's great, but I also think the Lord convicts me of the same thing I'm telling you. And if you don't have an easy time, like some of us do, then you better have a quiet time. Am I right? 
All right. So, uh, you know, we need that. It's not a legalistic thing. It's saying it's, it's like if you're hungry, do you eat? If you're thirsty, do you drink? How's your spirit doing? Is your spirit hungry? Is your spirit thirsty? Or are you coasting on what you already know, on your natural way, and you call that God working in your life? I've done it. It ain't pretty. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus says, uh, he says, you need to come apart and rest for a while. You either come apart or you fall apart. And that happens even though they got interrupted. So anyway, the hour of your glory, Lord, has come. The Father's timing and purpose for his life, he prayed for and he knew. Jesus, but wait a minute, didn't Jesus glorify his Father every single day through his life? He did miracles. He healed people. He fed multitudes. He was teaching all the time. Yeah, at 12 years old, he said to his parents that were looking for him after the Passover, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? At his baptism, the father spoke in a voice from heaven that some understood, but really not many. Apparently, John the Baptist did and communicated it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't started his ministry yet. So God was pleased with his work as a zero to 30-year-old. <laughs> But Jesus, what we're saying is he had the big picture. He knew when his time was, and he knew when it wasn't. He knew his ultimate purpose, his ultimate destiny through the cross, through the grave, to the third day, to rise and to be glorified together with the Father. Did Jesus have an advantage over you and me? Well, yeah, he had an advantage. He, he had always been with the Father. And he came from the Father. And he's one with the Father in a complete way that is hard to comprehend. Did he have an advantage? Yes. But the greatest servant, the greatest leader, and the greatest sufferer is Jesus Christ who paved the way for us. In the programs that Skip was talking about, in the government um, welfare and aid to people system, and other ways, there's a term they use that came to me this morning and last night thinking about this whole thing. Is they need a pathway to the help to overcoming. They need a pathway. I don't know if you remember, Skip, the girl on stage with us when we were being interviewed said, well, sometimes they don't have a, we need to make a pathway. Did Jesus make a pathway for you? He is the pathway. I am the way. So, so. Uh, Jesus had a lot going for him, and on the cover of your bulletin, where it begins that verse, it's after it says that all things have been put under his feet in verse 8 of Hebrews 2. Verse 9 says we don't see that fulfilled, but we see Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And then it says in verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons, and that's sons and daughters, ladies, to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Really, Jesus wasn't imperfect before that. It means a completion of what was needed for us. What else did Jesus have that was the greatest? He was the greatest servant, the greatest leader, and he truly is the greatest sufferer because he carried the sins of the world more than the suffering of a human through hours of torture or days or weeks of torture. It's different. It's more, and it's why we can say he suffered more. Because there's people who physically actually suffered more than Jesus. But that's not the fullness of suffering, as bad as that is. And we acknowledge that. But 
Jesus in his suffering, uh, what else did he have the greatest? Joy. In the Old Testament, talking about him, talks about the fullness of joy being in him. He's uh, filled with joy as well. He was a man acquainted with sorrows. He knew grief to its full extent, and he knew joy to its greatest extent. And he passed that on to us too. And his prayer for himself includes the Father's will and our benefit. If I only pray my short, close desires for myself, if I only pray my close-in desires for myself, I'm frustrated. I get really frustrated. Believers and even non-believers know there has to be more than just yourself. I mean, really, you get somebody who says all they care about is me and just, you know, within, and they don't have any friends or family. I mean, do you look at that person and envy them? Does anybody? I mean, if they are like that, they're usually leaning towards psychosis, you know? Um, There's real problems there. Everyone knows that you can't just be into yourself and into isolation. You have to have a purpose beyond yourself, don't you? Now it's tricky because your children, you love them so much, that's why I said in my prayer we don't worship our children, because it's easy to, because you love them so much. And you love them for them, but you also love them for you. Come on now, you can't help it. You, your feelings are attached to the things you love and to the people you love. It's actually about you even then. It's hard not to be about you, and it's okay. I mean, it needs to be that way. But understand that you're attached to you. When you don't want to want, let a loved one go to heaven who's dying and suffering, it's not really their benefit that you want them to stay. It's your benefit, and I don't blame you or me but they're more free to go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where the joy and the glory is. And, and it's not wrong, but it needs to be identified. You have to have a purpose greater than yourself. I worked with a good friend named Lauren uh, doing construction, and the man was so incredibly gifted at doing fancy houses in Biltmore, Arizona, where, you know, the Reagans came to visit her, uh, Nancy's dying mother on three helicopters came. You wouldn't know which one he's in. Well, I was on a roof, fixing a roof that I didn't know how to do, but Lauren did. And I would work with Lauren, and we were in this house of this guy that had, he had, he had a hand-glass-blowing pig about four feet long that was priceless. And I got contracted to do, paint the inside of his house. I said, if I move this glass pig and I break it, I don't have any insurance. I've lost not only my wages for painting his house, I've lost everything. Painting I could do on my own. Everything else, all these circular staircases and fancy things, Dave can do this stuff. A couple of you guys can do this. I I don't know how to do that stuff. And then I knew less than I do today. So, but Lauren was also artistic, and he was um, a little eccentric, and uh, he would go and start talking to the owner, and he'd spend two hours with the owner. Well, I don't have the blueprint. I don't know what to do next. You know, after a while, sweeping the floor ten times and putting screws back on some place to have you know, you get, get nervous. And, and people who say they love to go to work where they don't have to do anything probably don't. I mean, unless you're studying, you get to work on a night job and study for your schooling or read. But people who love to just be at work and not have to work, I think they probably have depressed lives and a lot of trouble in life. Most of us know we need to be functional and doing something of value. 
And sometimes your job may be mundane, but you want to do it well and, and, and have some focus there, you know, praying for others that they'll come to Jesus, even if your job's mundane. See, it has to be bigger than you. Do, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm all choked up about that. Um, you know, is there a blueprint for your life? There is. Now, I can give you two. In Romans eight twenty nine. it says, Whom he foreknew, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, the firstborn among many brethren. I know that when I'm working for Lauren at the Apfel's house in Biltmore, that what I need to do is be a witness for Jesus. It wasn't something I was going to stand around with Marv for two hours and talk to him about Jesus, Jewish guy. It wasn't that I was going to get to do that. That wouldn't be appropriate unless I was off time. But I was going to be a witness there and everywhere I went because my purpose never changes. It never changes. My purpose never changes. When you're at Hannaford, it's the same purpose as when you're in high school. When you're at your job, it's the same purpose as when you're in the grocery store. Are you following me? Am I excited about this? You bet I am because people miss this all the time. And what they do is get frustrated. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? If you don't have the right purpose, you're guaranteed frustration. I guarantee you frustration. Because God's word does. And I guarantee you, or the word of God does, that there at least will be uh, help through difficulty if you understand your purpose. To be conformed to the image of his son and also to be aware of his call in your life, yes. It's a challenge to know exactly the things God has for you, but in everything, he has a way for you to live, to let the life of Christ live through you. How would Jesus sweep the floor? What would he do in that free time? Since that's where I am, that's where I am. So what does Jesus want me to do? Eventually, I quit. (laughs) Got a different job, because you get to do that if God's freed you to do that. There were other reasons for that. We're still good friends. So I, I, don't, I didn't have the plan, but God's given me a plan. Do we know the timing in our lives as Jesus did? No, you don't. But Romans 13, here's some verse. If you're a note taker, if you care about this, you can write these down. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, Now it is high time for us to be committed in following the path that God has for us because our salvation is nearer than when we believed. That was written 2,000 years ago. Are we nearer our salvation, the coming of the Lord, than we were 2,000 years ago? We better be. Matthew 24 says we need to be watching for the Lord as a thief in the night he comes. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6, it says of the times and the seasons, brethren, you're not ignorant, and I don't want the day that's coming, and you don't have to have, and God doesn't want you to have the day that's coming to be taking you and overtake you as a thief in the night in darkness that you don't know. You're aware of God and of his purpose. Doesn't mean you know exactly when the Lord's coming, but he says if the person, in Matthew he says, if the man who, or the householder knew what hour the thief was coming, he would have been awake and been ready for the thief and not have it come, oh, what happened? A thief came in the middle of the night. How did this happen? Right? So in your life, we're prepared, understanding your purpose and your destiny to bring glory to God just like Jesus won't take all your trouble away. Okay, I'm going to say it again because, you know, we're not getting so excited that we're not real. Okay, I notice you're getting really excited and I'm trying to calm you down, okay? (laughs) Understanding your purpose to glorify God, your destiny to be with God, 
Your purpose to glorify God, your destiny to be with God. Your purpose to glorify God, your destiny to be with God. Your purpose is what? Your destiny is what? Okay, I know it's just a simple little saying that expresses something far greater, but wouldn't it be good to have a few little things that you can... What is my purpose? To glorify God. Lord, bring glory to your life, to you, through my life, whatever that means. Yeah, there's a lot to learn about that. But if you don't even know that that's your purpose, what are you going to do? Get stuck in everything that's going on in your life? Get frustrated in everything that's going on in your life? My purpose is to glorify God. My destiny is to be with God. And for those who that's not good enough for, I don't have anything to give you. If God isn't good enough for you, and his eternal purpose isn't, I'm sure that my, well, maybe if I come up with something, yeah. How could that possibly be? I feel totally free to not give people a bigger purpose than God has given them. To help people discover what that means, we have an obligation and a calling. Well, that's part of your calling, too. Finding out what your purpose is, clearly understanding what it means for you to glorify God will help you help people who are frustrated and don't know their purpose in life. You don't have to know everything and what people are supposed to do next Tuesday to give them help. You don't have to be a prophet that tells people the next month or year of their life. That isn't my job for anybody. It's to direct us each to the Lord, to receive from him the clarity of our calling Because our purpose is to glorify him, and our destiny is to be with him. And so, do we know our timing? No. But we do know our purpose. And it won't, knowing that, understanding your purpose and destiny will not take away all your trouble. Will not take away all your trouble. But it will take away unnecessary trouble. You know what I mean? unnecessary trouble. Not, well, we might like Rev Tevi. I haven't quoted him for a while. When his horse's foot is bad and he's walking, his, he's pulling the cart with his horse cart. Really? Was this necessary? <laughs> well, is, is trouble come to you? Does trouble come to you uh, that seems like it's unnecessary because of things that happen from other people? Of course it does. But the unnecessary trouble that you don't have to go through is the stuff between your ears that we waste a lot of time and energy and frustration about. It's the way that we respond. Uh, You know, this will greatly affect your frustration level. It's guaranteed. Listen, Jesus, why Jesus didn't pray, Father, it's about time. I am so done. I am so sick of the rejection, of the stupidity, of the sin around me, even my own disciples who are sleeping right now. I'm so sick of this. Get me out of here. What if Jesus prayed that way? How comfortable would you be like, oh, there's my Savior. Listen, you and I, listen, listen, listen. You and I will absolutely have times like that where that's how you feel. But if you are living in that consistently, I'm not saying you're not going to ever have times like that, but if that's where you live, I'm telling you right now what you're doing, not to shame you or burden you, but to help you get set free. You are not abiding in Jesus. Because there's fruit. Love. Joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, goodness. Those don't come to you because life is good around you. Those don't come to you because you got the new job. Those don't come to you because your family's good to you. There's only one source for the fruit of the Spirit. There's only one source for the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from Him. It either comes from Him, or whatever it is, it isn't, I don't know what it is. Okay? If the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit in you, if you're living in frustration, it's not your circumstance, but I wouldn't trade circumstances with some people. I know they're going through more than I am. I admit it 100%. I don't understand everybody's situation, and God hasn't told me, you can't say this until you understand everybody's situation. I know what I need. I need to abide in Jesus. I need to understand my purpose and my destiny, and I'm going to have moments when I feel sick of all the rejection, the stupidity, and the sin around me. But as I'm not Jesus, so I'm going to go, boy, it's showing that it's inside of me, too. This is the sin inside of me that I'm so frustrated, that I am so just want to give up. You know, to be directed away from a bad situation is great. To have boundaries is great. But if you're just constantly in this point of frustration, it means you're, you don't know how to abide in Jesus. And it's what we're trying to teach. It's what you can do by gathering with other believers, finding a few friends, a friend or two that will pray with you. Not just have you share your frustration, but pray with you. Say, hold me accountable to look at Jesus, to seek his face. You know, change your schedule and make being in church and or a Bible study more of an importance. I mean, do something that's different. Make a decision. If you're just in constant frustration, do something about it. Some people are so, so many things are going on, they can't do anything physically, and that's true. They can't make a change in schedule. They can't. They don't know how to get a hold of a friend. You know, he is your best friend. I'm not suggesting that he won't meet you. Find out what it means. Read John 15 over and over again. Or I'm reading it till I get it. And I personally will be reading that till the day I die because I don't think I fully understand it. But I know where to go. Authority to give us eternal life, he says, comes from the Father to know the true God. Eternal life is now and the future. It's quality, not just quantity. This is eternal life, that they know you. He wasn't saying eternal life is when they all die. He was saying, right now, I'm going to bring eternal life to them that's going to be with them because it's a quantity and a quality, a more of life. He says, I've revealed and kept the ones you gave me, my first disciples. And as we read on, we see that he does even more, 9 through 19. Ah, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine and Oh, excuse me, all are mine, and all my... Okay, I'm going to start all over again. Who's been interrupting me to make me do that? Okay. I pray for them, verse 9. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. 
While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Would he pray for his joy to be in them if it wasn't the best joy? I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. There's certainly much more here than we would could cover in a study. And I took a... Uh, I didn't, not that much time. We kind of got a late start, but that's okay. I don't want to belabor it. So Jesus capsulizes in a prayer that's heard by his disciples everything he's been saying to them. He's now praying that in. You know, it's one thing to talk about stuff. It's another thing to pray it in. It just, it just does something. And Jesus thought so. He'd already said these things to his disciples pretty much. And, and he says, the cosmos, the world system under Satan's dominion, it doesn't need to be bolstered up. It needs to be destroyed. Not, 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 it isn't that God isn't a redeemer and restorer, but there's a system working that is not to be saved, and people are imprisoned in that system, and they need to be delivered from it. So he prays for those who will believe, because to believe is to get out of the system of Satan's dominion. And he prays, of course, we also know that a new heaven and new earth are coming along with deliverance for our soul and our spirit. How encouraging that he says, I'm glorified in them, Father. That's what I want, and that's what I want you to do. Keep them. That's so encouraging. And they're one with us, and I've kept them. How encouraging. They've got my word, and the world hates them. But don't take them out of the world, which is, you know, the monastery picture model. A season of time away could be a really great thing, but to live your life away from people isn't necessarily what Jesus was asking the Father for. He's saying, be, let them, I understand why people would do it, (laughs) but Lord, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. The answer to the sin around us is not isolation, it's incarnation. It's not getting away from it all, it's having what's in you be stronger. And there is decisions to make. How do I know how to be in the world and not of the world? The great question that was asked that I heard and has stuck with me is, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Look at the situation you're in. Now, if you're in a family, if you're married, etc., don't say, well, it's not helping me, so I need to get out. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, in terms of life situations, you know, where you hang out, where you're with people, what you're doing, are you simply rising and lowering to the temperature that's there? Or are you setting the temperature? Are you the thermostat? Now, let's put, it's a little cool in here. Let's warm it up to, in our house, let's warm it up to 65 because we're cheap. We wear sweaters <laughs> at home. So, you know, let's warm it up. But you might let's warm it up to 72. Are you setting the temperature in the environment you're in, or are you lowering or raising to the level that's there? That's when God grabs you and he grabs your life. You know, there's a saying we have. It's that you're spoiled for the world. You can no longer be comfortable in an ungodly setting just kind of going with the flow. You might have to be there, but now you've got to be there in a different way. You've got to be a light. You've got to be a thermostat. 
You've got to be an influence. You have to be not in isolation, but incarnation. Jesus in you coming out. And Jesus is praying this. In 20 through 26, I didn't want to break up the study, so stay with me for a minute. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You're being talked about right now. Jesus was talking about you. I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me might be in them, and I in them. Hey, brothers and sisters, remember that um, we often quote, I can't help it, I often quote Jesus' prayer, Father, if there's any way this cup could pass, with tears and sweating drops of blood. But that isn't all that happened in the garden. That wasn't his only prayer. That was the prayer at the moment of great temptation when he was going to, beginning to feel the weight in, in his spirit of what he was going to bear. But look at his heart. What kept him there is what you read here. Amen? This is what kept him there. For all believers forward, right down to you and me, Jesus believed that the gospel would work, didn't he? Do you? Do you think America 2015 has eliminated the capacity for the gospel to work? It has not. Nor the theory of evolution, nor secularism, nor Islam, or ISIS. Take your pick. Anything in the world. The gospel works or you would not be sitting here today. You know, hard ground in your backyard can taint your view of gardening. You might hit some hard ground and say, this stinks, man. This doesn't work. I can't plant seeds here. It doesn't grow. Pretty soon you stop planting seeds. There might be hard ground in your backyard. Go to your front yard. When you're in your car, you're driving, you see some good land, jump out of your car, leave the engine running, in drive, <laughs> just for excitement, and jump out and go throw some seeds there on that grass, on that ground. Do you understand what I'm saying? I won't belabor it. Um, you and I and millions more are, result, are the result against every odd of God through his people who wouldn't give in to Rome's iron fist or Jewish uh, pharisaical extremist anger. And Jesus prays the purpose of God for them, the power of God in them, and the love of God to them, that they be one in Jesus, and they are. So much so, so much so is this oneness. He says in verse 23, that they might know that you love them as you love me. That is one of the most difficult things to believe for a person who struggles with uh, acceptance. That you love me, you love them with the same love you love me. Well, sure, now, on the one side, there's a person who says, yeah, right, look at how I suffer. 
Well, I love my son, and I let him suffer. Well, that's comforting. <laughs> well, you don't see your whole purpose and destiny. You know, you're, you're struggling, I understand, to see who you really are and what your real purpose is. It happens. And I think everybody has to go through that to some degree. It's not like you just decide one day to think right, do you? I've tried it, and I still had to get up the next day and start all over again, but I had a little bit more direction, and I keep following it if, as I'm doing well, and God holds you and keeps you. Think about it, though. Love them as you loved me. God is, one of the things it says about God is God is love, all right? So, and God's love is who he is, and he doesn't come in little pieces. He doesn't come in big pieces and little pieces. So, the love of God is the love of God. This is very logical. It goes way beyond logic, I know. It's a spiritual reality that you have to gain spiritually, but just even in the realm of logic, think about it. He says, the same love, I submit, it has to be the same love. God is no respecter of persons. God is one, echad, compound one from the Old Testament. He isn't divided. He isn't pieced out. He loves Jesus, and he says the Spirit's given to him in full measure. There's no measurements to it. Okay, now, he that is joined to the Lord in Corinthians 6 is one spirit with the Lord. The Spirit's not given by measure to Jesus. The love of God isn't given by measure to us. We're loved with the same love. How about when Jesus said, I want you to love one another. You just see the consistent path of this. It's like a circle. Not a path, a circle. A circle. Okay. I want you to love each other in the same way that I love you. Jesus tells you to love other people the way he loves you. How does he love you? With a tweezers? I have to love you, so I have to bless you. But not that much. <laughs> and not like him. Well, does God, is there such a thing as finding favor in the Lord by obedience and being blessed because you're walking in the right path versus shooting your foot all the time? Of course there is. But this isn't about whether God loves you or not. The child he disciplines, he loves as much as the child that he's now giving a blessing to, and they're going to interchange their situation through life. It's the same love. I want you to really, if you can, I just, I just remember how, what this, how this helped me, okay? When I kind of walked through it and went, yeah, you can't love me less than who you are. You're not going to change based on me or Gail or Billy Graham. Okay, well, you really love Billy, because of how good he is. Where do you see that in the Bible? So if God is love, then his love is one. And all Jesus is saying this, you're kind of going in circles with it, that's because it's one, love. And God cannot love you, Julie, with less love than he loves Jesus with because he doesn't break up into pieces. He can't be that way. He declares himself that he can't be that way. Yes, God can do anything, but his character is such. He's not going to love more and less. Either he's love or he ain't. And he loves you and me with the same love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. 
we're going to, because of what we've just read, the oneness that we have, we're going to take communion before we leave. It's going to be passed. Roger, if you'd grab somebody to help you, not skip because he's going to come up and lead us in the prayer of communion. And Heather's going to come up to sing with me. And whoever else, I don't know, is... I don't remember you guys what we said or what you wanted to do, but we're going to um, play a song. One, yeah, you can get over there. And we're going to sing that song. We, we sing it some often, but I can't think of a better song to take communion on in this space. you said to your disciples how you wanted to do this uh, communion with them, Lord. And Father, we know that you, you said that we were to do this as often as we could in remembrance 
of you, mm-hmm. remembrance of your your suffering, Lord. How you could have you could have sent legions of angels down, mm-hmm. Lord, but you chose to take my sin and your sin and our sin, Lord. And we understand that this bread represents your body that was broken for us, Lord. But we want to be mindful of the humiliation and how you were spit upon, Lord. You lowered yourself to come down to earth to be a man to pay the ultimate price, Lord. Help us to be mindful of that every day, Lord. Mm. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and love and mercy. And we partake of this bread together. Let's partake together. And likewise, they passed the cup, and this cup represents the blood of Christ, Lord. It is the blood that washes us clean. It is mm. the blood that allows us access to the Father. It is through your blood that you spilled at Calvary that we who believe and call on your name could come before the throne of God and petition the Lord in prayer, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's partake of the blood of Christ together. Lord, I pray that as we go forward throughout this day and and uh, in our week, that we are always mindful of, of of the sacrifice that you made. How before at the beginning of time, Lord, this was the Father's plan. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. I will not boast in bless you guys. Jesus loved you with the same love. God loves you with the same love he loves Jesus with. And that's what will make you pursue him. Nothing less will will cause you to seek him. And uh, if you have trouble believing that, join the club. It's it's, that's where our faith, where the rubber meets the road. That's what's going to change your life if it needs changing. And mine too. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up.